Well, it is good to see you tonight. And Brother Mike alluded to it, but uh, it does seem like tonight I've asked several people, how's your week been? And it seems like the recurring theme is, yeah. All right. So understanding that and being aware of that, I want you to know, first of all, that I don't make light of it. I know that you can have tough days. I know that the weeks can be tough. I am not making light of it at all whatsoever. All I would encourage us to do tonight as a church family is, whenever we pray in just a moment, ask the Lord to settle your heart for just a few moments. Ask the Lord to give you a peace from whatever it is that's been a burden today or this week. And just ask the Lord to speak to your heart tonight because we need our time to not be wasted tonight. And if we allow ourselves to be burdened by what's happened this week or what we know is facing us tomorrow, and we don't get from the message what we could get from it, then that time has been wasted. So I don't want that to happen. And so, again, I'm not making light of whatever it is you've dealt with this week, but I would just say ask the Lord to help you in these next few moments to give attention to the Word. All right? So that being said, let's pray, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I know that much has gone on in the lives of many people this week. I know it's for some just been one of those days, one of those weeks that we'd like to just uh, hit the fast forward and get past it and, and move on. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, knowing that you would help us in these next few moments to give the attention to your word that it deserves. And I pray that you would help us to be helped tonight by your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit of a disclaimer, since you have to listen to me tonight. Uh, I woke up this morning, it was like somebody said, your faucet will be running. So my nose has been running all day, and I'm going to be sniffing throughout the sermon. And if I have to stop and address that, please forgive me. All right? All right. Second Chronicles 32 tonight is where we're going to be. Second Chronicles 32. And as you're finding your place there, you may remember what we looked at last week. Last week we watched as the Passover came to a close, that which the Israelites had observed. We know that as a result of this time together, observing the Passover, as the people were dismissed and returning to their homes, they began to tear down the high places, they began to tear down the images and the altars that had been present under the previous administration, so to speak, and things were changing in a significant way. And as all this was happening, I talked about how this was done under the leadership of Hezekiah the king, and what seemed to be a key component in all this was found in the last verse of chapter 31 where it said that in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek God, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. And so the point was this, is that what Hezekiah did by way of trying to turn his heart and the people's heart back to God, he did it with all of his heart. It was not something that was half-hearted. It was not something that was just kind of half-baked. It was something that he did with a passion and something that drove him. And so last week I tried to remind us that lazy people don't accomplish many great things in life. And as that is true in so many other areas of life, it is true in the spiritual realm of life that if you and I aren't driven, if you and I don't have a passion in our heart for the things that we want to accomplish, that we want to see God accomplish in our lives, it's not going to happen. We have to pursue those things with our whole heart because if it's a half-hearted approach, it's just not going to happen on accident. 
So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight, moving on, and as we do, I want to talk tonight about something that I think all of us have been a part of by way of conversation. We've heard somebody say this. We've heard somebody talk about this. And maybe, just maybe, some of us have even been guilty of what it is I'm about to mention. So I'd like to begin tonight by asking you this question. Have you ever heard someone gripe about how cold it is? Have you ever heard somebody do that? Have you ever been in the midst of a conversation with somebody and, and they say something like this, well, good grief, I've had enough of this cold weather. This cold weather can leave and be gone and be done with itself as soon as it wants. We've heard people gripe about the cold weather, have we not? And so probably if you and I were honest, most of us at some point in our lives, uh, we've said or expressed the same thought. Have we not? It's been cold for several days. It's been cold long enough, and, and, and we know all the bugs have been killed, and that's the only reason we need the cold weather. And, and so all that's been done and all that's been accomplished, and, and, and many of us, and I know for myself, I've said to people, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the cold weather to be done. I've had enough. I'm sick of it. So at the same time, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard somebody gripe about how hot it is? Well, of course, it, yeah, I mean, it happens consistently throughout the summer, doesn't it? It's just too hot. I'm telling you, this heat is just unbearable. I'll be so glad when fall gets here. I'll be so glad when we get a break from this. We've heard people talk about the heat. We've heard people gripe about the heat. And again, most of us, if we were honest, those words or those sentiments have probably spilled out of our mouths at some point at least once of just being sick and tired of the heat. Now, as you think about that, I, I want us to think about this. What should we expect the temperature to be in the winter? We, we should expect it to be cold, right? I mean, for these parts, for this area, it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, it, it's winter, so we should kind of expect the cold. And if it's summer, what should we kind of grow to expect? Well, we should kind of grow to expect the heat, right? So, I mean, if we're honest, it, it seems, and it is really rather silly, isn't it, to gripe about the cold in the midst of winter and to gripe about the heat in the midst of summer? This is kind of like how it works. It's the cycle that's been going on for thousands of years. It, it tends to be the way things go, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and to expect much different, well, that's really not very smart on our part. So what would make the most sense? Well, the may, what, what would make the most sense would be this. To understand how all this works and respond accordingly, right? Uh, isn't this amazing how, how profound these thoughts are? What would be the best response to all this? What would be the most appropriate response? What should a person do? Well, it, it would be something like this. If you know it's going to be cold, wear more clothes. What? Yeah, wear more clothes. And if you know it's going to be hot, take off a couple of the layers. I'm not saying run around naked. I'm just saying if, if you know it's going to be hot, don't bundle up like it's cold. So it's really simple. If you know how this is going to work, 
you respond accordingly and you respond appropriately, and it helps the attitude so much more. Okay. Now, why bring that to our attention? What in the world could that have to do with anything? All right, well, let's keep something in mind. This is important. The king, prior to Hezekiah, was his father, a man by the name of Ahaz, correct? We remember, if we were a part of the study, if we were a part of the sermon, we remember that Ahaz did not really have a heart for the things of God. It was Ahaz who was responsible for closing the doors of the house of the Lord. It was Ahaz who helped propagate and who helped multiply the worship of false gods, of idols, so much so that he himself was responsible for sacrificing at least one child, if not more, to the false gods that he served. And so under the leadership and under the rule and under the reign of Ahaz, it was a very, very dark time for Israel from a spiritual perspective. That's what it was like under the rule and reign of Ahaz. So Hezekiah comes in, and what does he have? Well, he has a heart for the things of God, does he not? And so we've watched as Hezekiah has done almost an about-face. He's almost done a complete 180 turn from everything that his father had done. And so here is Ahaz, and what is he doing? He is reopening the doors to the house of the Lord, and he is reinstituted, or he has re-engaged the people into the observance of the Passover. And, and the people have spontaneously, it seems, torn down the altars and, and torn down the groves and the high places and everything that was associated with the false gods and the false worship of the false gods. And, and so as all of this is happening, again, I want to remind us, what is Israel saying? Israel is saying, and they are witnessing, and they are a part of a major shift in the spiritual thinking and the spiritual approach to their everyday lives. So where Israel is at under the rule of Hezekiah, spiritually, is not even close to where they were at under the rule of Ahaz from a spiritual perspective. And so as things are changing and as things are shifting in a positive way, and as the Passover has come to a close in chapter 31, notice what it says in verse number 32, or chapter 32. Notice what it says in chapter 32, verse number 1. It says, after these things. So after what things? The opening of the house of the Lord and the Passover. The people restoring the temple, the offerings coming in, the sacrifices abounding. After these things have happened and the establishment thereof, notice what it says next, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. So who is Sennacherib? Well, Sennacherib, it says, was the king of Assyria. And all you've got to do is a little bit of research to find and to understand this, that Assyria and Israel, they were not friends, they were not allies. The people of Assyria were the enemy of the children of God. 
The Scripture makes this very clear, okay? It says that, that they came and they entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. So what did Sennacherib want to do? Sennacherib wanted to take the people of Israel captive. He wanted to defeat them, and he wanted to place the children of Israel under his rule and under his authority. He wanted to to keep Israel from enjoying the freedom and the liberty that they had known. So think about the timing of this. And as we think about the timing of this, we're going to work through this a little bit differently than we normally would in a sermon, but think about the timing of this. It is after these things that Israel has experienced a significant shift in their thinking toward God. It is after these things that have been established that what happened? That the enemy attacked the children of God. Now tonight I want us to think about that thought for just a moment. I want us to think about that truth. I want us to think about the principle associated with this simple little story of after these things happening, Sennacherib, the enemy of Israel, coming out against them. I want us to think about this truth. Have you ever noticed that when a person begins to get serious about their walk with God, it is then that the enemy pops up its head and begins to attack. If you've, if you've paid attention, if you've noticed these things, here's what you have begun to realize over the years. If you see someone who gives their heart and life to Jesus Christ, if you see someone who finally recognizes that they are a sinner, that they are in need of salvation, and they call upon Jesus Christ to save them, have you ever noticed that it is almost immediately after those things that the enemy begins to attack them and they begin to deal with things they had never dealt with before? Isn't it amazing that when a person gets saved, the family that they once used to be so close to, the family that they once had such great relationships with, it is that very family who is now offering resistance to them and this new life they're trying to live? Isn't it amazing how when somebody decides to give their life to Jesus Christ and they begin to serve Him and they begin to, to realize that that is the way their life needs to go, isn't it amazing that the enemy begins to bring back old friends who would try to take that person from their church life, from their church family, and to try to drag them back into the sin they once knew? I mean, if you think about it, it really is somewhat amazing that as soon as a person gets saved, as soon as a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, it is amazing how the enemy begins to attack. It just seems to be the way it works. But for those who are already saved, for those who are already believers and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, let's... You know, just think about it for a moment. We know this to be true, that, that sometimes they're not really living for the Lord like they ought. It's just a fact that, that sometimes people who are saved don't really live for the Lord like they ought. And then something happens, something clicks. We don't know what it is for everybody. We don't know what it is in every situation. But here's what they do. They resolve and they determine, we are going to get serious or I am going to get serious about the things of God. And while that is a major victory in the life of that individual, 
Isn't it amazing how immediately that seems to prompt the attack of the enemy? All of a sudden, they're battling things at work that they've never battled before. I'd really encourage us to listen to this. They're battling things at work that they have never battled before. They're, they're dealing with things with the family that they have never dealt with before. There's conflict in relationships they have never had before. It, it just is amazing to me that when you see someone get serious about the things of God, it's like the enemy pops up and says, well, we can't have that. And so they began to attack. And they began to try to discourage. They began to try to dis, uh, derail the progress that's been made. And, and if you think about it, not only from the personal level, but the corporate level, isn't that also true of a church? Now, I'm going somewhere with this, all right? So let's just stay in tune with this. Isn't that true of a church that, that when a church decides, you know what, we're going to stop playing games and we're going to get serious about this idea of, of doing the business and the work of a church and we're going to try to get serious about propagating the gospel and, and we're going to try to get serious about developing the relationships in the church and being the church that we're supposed to be. Isn't it amazing how the enemy pops up and says, we can't have the church doing that. We can't have the church in one accord. We can't have the people getting along. We can't allow the church to be moving forward. Whenever the church was just playing church, that was no big deal. But if the church is getting serious about the things of God, that is when the enemy begins to arise, and that's when the church gets to start dealing with stupid issues. You know, somebody gets bent out of shape about this, and then they get upset about this, and, and they start having friction, and they start having conflict with people in the church. And, and pretty soon, what are you dealing with? You're dealing with all sorts of problems because the church started doing what the church was supposed to be doing in the first place. I'm just saying I find it interesting that after these things, after these things were established, after these things had taken place in the land of Israel, after so much for God had been accomplished, it was then that the enemy came out and began to attack. I find this interesting as well, and we'll turn to this passage in a few moments, but I find this point interesting that Assyria came out with no less than 185,000 men or troops or soldiers. Friends, that was a serious attack on Israel. It wasn't light. It wasn't casual. It wasn't just sending in a, a few special ops kind of people. No, this was at least 185,000 soldiers. This was serious for the people of Israel. Now what is there for you and I to, to kind of glean from that? If we were to try to, to, to take away something from that simple thought, well, I'd like us to think about this truth, again, just by way of application, that whenever Satan, the enemy, attacks, he does so in a fashion that is significant to that person. Amen. Understand what I'm saying? See, what may distract and derail 
a new church member or a new believer may not be what would derail or distract an established church member. But I'm telling you, while we may look at that and say, ah, that is nothing. I can't believe they're getting tripped up over that. Friends, that is exactly what the enemy knows can be a source of distraction to that new believer. It is serious to them. It is significant to them. It is not something to be taken lightly. And, and, and Satan knows how to get to anyone, and he knows how to get to everyone, because Satan has been involved in this battle far longer than anyone else has been involved in the battle. So what he would use on this person may not be what he would use on you, and what he would use on you he may not use on me. But I am saying this, that Satan knows how to attack. He, the enemy knows how to get at us, and he knows what is a effective in trying to get us discouraged and off track and regretting the decisions we had made to serve the Lord. The enemy knows how to go after a church. We following this? The enemy's not sitting back saying to themselves or to, to the demons. The, the, the enemy, Satan, is not saying, well, I, just, I don't know what to do in a situation like this. We've never encountered a situation like this. No, he knows exactly what he's doing, and, and he is completely aware of the approach he needs to take. And you and I can never afford to minimize what the enemy would try to do to derail what people in the church are trying to accomplish. Is this making sense? After these things, after all this has been accomplished, this is when the enemy comes and he came with great force and strength. When spiritual victories are had, when spiritual victories are accomplished, we better be sure of this. The enemy is going to attack with all of his strength and with all of his fury in hopes of a complete defeat. Now think about that. We know that, do we not? We're not really surprised at that, are we? I mean, am I telling you something and you're saying, oh, wow, I had no idea there'd be like some spiritual battles involved in the spiritual life? You're not shocked by this, are you? No? Okay. If we're not shocked by it, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard people gripe about the attack they are under? Yeah, kind of like people gripe about the weather. You know, it's kind of like they began to do right. They began to serve the Lord as they ought. And, and they began to try to get serious about their spiritual lives. And the attack comes. And, and the attack is serious. And the attack is intense. And, and it's nothing to be laughed at. It's nothing to be taken lightly. And, and as the attack continues for a while, isn't it amazing how it begins to affect people's attitudes? This is kind of getting old. This has gotten, you know, far more frustrating than I ever thought it was going to be. This has been far more intense than I had ever imagined. Have there ever been moments in your life where you've thought to yourself, uh, I've had enough of this. 
Maybe you haven't, but some of us have. And if we're not careful, what, what happens to us? Well, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get discouraged, we get, we get bent out of shape, we begin to struggle in all these different areas in our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, whatever it is. And I want to remind us of something tonight. And that is this. If we're going to live the Christian life, what should we expect? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? If we're in the midst of winter months, what should we expect? We should expect cold weather. If we're in the midst of the summer months, what should we expect? We should expect hot weather. Well, friends, it's kind of that same principle. It's kind of that same idea. If you and I are going to engage seriously in the Christian life, then what should we expect? We should expect there to be some battles, for there to be some challenges, for the enemy to throw at us everything that he can think of to try to distract us and to take away from the commitments we have made. We might as well get used to it that the Christian life is going to have with it some serious spiritual battles. Now, if we're not interested in living the Christian life, you know what that does? That takes the focus of the enemy off of you. Because there's no threat there. But if someone is choosing to live the Christian life in the way that they ought, then they might as well recognize and they might as well get used to this truth. It will bring with it some serious battles. So if we accept that, if we're willing to acknowledge that, then what could we do to maybe help out in the process? What if we responded accordingly and appropriately? Does it sound familiar? Hey, hey, listen, if, if I know the battle is coming, if I know the battle and the attack is part of the process, if I know that comes with the territory, then what do I need to do? I need to respond accordingly and I need to respond appropriately to what I know comes with living the Christian life. So what happened? We'll begin by reading in verse number 2 of chapter 32. It says, And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. Now, we'll look more at his response in a couple of moments, but I want us to notice in verse 2 and 3 that here is what Hezekiah did. He began doing what he knew to do in the midst of the attack. You following this? In the midst of the attack, there were certain things that Hezekiah realized, all right, there are some things that I need to be doing. So let's make some quick application before we move on. Whenever the enemy attacks us, you know what is part of the response that is appropriate to that attack? Whenever the enemy begins to attack, you know what is appropriate for us to do? For us to begin doing in part what we know we need to be doing. 
There are just some things that a Christian ought to know that if Satan's trying to get at me, if the enemy's trying to get me from here or from here or from here, whatever it may be, there are some things that we as Christians, we ought to know, all right, I need to do this and I need to do this and and I need to take precautions here and we need to implement this or I need to be watchful of this. But I want us to look at something very important because it's, it's a parallel passage to this one. So turn, if you would, to 2 Kings real quick. 2 Kings chapter Second uh, Kings chapter nineteen. Second Kings chapter nineteen. Verse number fourteen. This is when Hezekiah has received the threat, whenever he is fully aware of the intentions of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. It says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth thou hast made the heaven and the earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. And the prayer of Hezekiah continues. Now, what's my point? The point is this. Whenever Hezekiah was made aware of the threat and the intentions and the attack of the enemy... Hezekiah did what he could do, but he also immediately took it to the throne of God and said, God, this is the attack facing us, your people, the children of God. If you and I know that the enemy is going to attack when we live the Christian life, There is a a response that is appropriate, it makes sense, it, it is right, and that is for us to do what we know to do. And of the things that we know we ought to do, one of those things ought to be to immediately take it to the throne of God and say, God, I'm under attack. You realize this? How is Satan going to attack? How is the enemy going to go after people? He'll go after them in their thoughts. He'll go after them in their emotions. He'll go after them in their health. He will go after them in their spiritual lives. Satan is going to attack however he can. Let's listen, please. Satan is going to attack however he can. And whenever Satan begins to attack... We better recognize the attack and we better do what we know we need to be doing. And part of that involves taking that attack and saying, God, here is what the enemy is trying to do to me, to my family, to our church, whatever it is. And God, I'm laying it before you because you have to be the one who works. Now, there's one other thing that I want us to think about by way of response that is an appropriate response that is a right response. 
after Hezekiah brought the charge or brought the threat before God, you know what Hezekiah did next? You know what he did next? He waited. He waited on the Lord to work. How do we know? We'll turn over if you need to, to verse number 35. This was the approach that God gave Hezekiah for this particular battle. It says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. That's 185,000 of the Assyrians. And it says, And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpse. You know what Hezekiah had to do after bringing the attack and the, and the threat before the Lord? He had to wait on God to do the work. Now, I'm not saying that Every time we just sit back and say, Okay, God, I've, I've prayed, so now you've got to take care of it all. Because there are times that God would say, This is what you do, and this is how you approach it, and this is how you, you deal with it. But there are times that in the midst of an attack, you know what God requires us to do? Nothing. And wait on Him to do the work that needs to be done. Can I ask you something tonight? Just be honest with yourself. How many of us tonight would have to admit that sometimes it's difficult to wait on the Lord and let Him work? I think some of us, if we were honest, would have to say things like this. I know it would be true for me. Sometimes I've wanted to tell God how He should be working. Okay, God, this is the situation I'm in. God, this is what I'm dealing with. God, you know, this is what's happening. This is what's taking place, whether it be personal, whether it be in the family, whether it be in the church, whatever it is. God, this is what's happening. Now, here's what you need to do. I want to tell him what to do. I want to tell him when to do it. I want to tell him how to do it. I want to tell him the approach. I, I want to sit back and let God do it so long as he does it in my way. That's not the example that Hezekiah gave us in this situation. God, here's the problem. God, here's the threat. God, here's the enemy. Here's what they're saying. Here's what they're, they're, they're doing. And God, I'm laying it before you. And then he stepped back and God did the work. So to try to summarize this, I, I want us to think about this, this whole process. When Hezekiah led the children of Israel to truly follow the Lord in the way that they ought, it was then that the enemy attacked. He attacked with strength, with boldness, with arrogance, in a significant fashion. In response, Hezekiah did what he knew to do in the immediate aftermath, but then he brought it to the Lord and he sat back and he let the Lord work and the Lord worked. Just want to remind us that when we are determined to live for the Lord, you know what we can count on? 
the attack of the enemy. It's not a maybe. It's not a, I wonder if it's going to happen. No, we can be sure the enemy is going to attack and he will attack with strength. He will attack with boldness. He will attack with arrogance. He will attack with fury. He will do everything he can to defeat us after the decisions we've made to serve the Lord like we ought. Knowing that, we can't get bent out of shape and can't get discouraged and, and, and frustrated or whatever else we may struggle with. In those moments... We need to do what we know to do. We need to bring it to the Lord and be willing to wait on God to work. Now, I don't know. I have no idea where you're at right now. But some of you could be in the midst of a battle, could you not? It's possible. Some of you may be in the midst of the battle and the enemy is doing everything they can right now or everything he can to discourage you and to defeat you. And I just want to remind you, do not let the enemy defeat you. This is part of the process. If the enemy is attacking, take it before the Lord and let him begin to work. If you're in the midst of a battle right now, let God do the work. And if right now there is a lull in the spiritual battle, if right now there's not a lot it seems like by way of opposition, enjoy it. But know that there is another wave of attack coming your way. And when it happens, don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Don't let it rock your world. Realize it comes with the territory. This is how it's been for thousands of years. And respond accordingly by taking it to God and letting him work. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to look at this example of Hezekiah. Lord, I think there is a pattern there, obviously, that we can be helped by, that we can benefit from. And Lord, I don't know where each person is at tonight. I know that we come to church and we try to be upbeat, we try to be positive. And yet right now there could be some people in here who feel like Satan is just gunning them right, or gunning after them right now. Right now they just feel like the enemy is in, in hot pursuit of them. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us tonight to understand that's how it works, that that's, that's how it's always been. And so in the midst of that tonight, they need to turn to you if they've not already. And they need to be patient and let you work. And Lord, if we don't need this tonight, I would say as I've done before, I would ask you to bring this message to our mind and to our remembrance in the days ahead if we should need this. So I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.